This free program is paid for by the listener members of KPFK. If you're not already a member, consider joining with us and keep free speech alive. You're going to love this. Just love it. Oh, yeah. I will, too. Are they already calling to complain, Marco? What's up with that? Yes, I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. Stuck in the middle with you once again. Now, keep it playing there, G. Uh, this is your Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman, live once again on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, and of course on kpfk.org, coast to coast and around the globe. You can also listen to us anytime on the Stitcher radio app. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly citizen, investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, if no one else, and welcome to the Bradcast. Glad you could join us. Hope you had a lovely Thanksgiving holiday. I know I did. I slept through most of it. But I'm back awake again, and, uh, and it's good to be here. Uh, okay, we're go- well, we may get to some of your calls a little bit later. So uh, jot down the number if you like, 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-KPFK. Uh, got quite a few things I want to uh, try to get through to today. You can also reach me throughout the uh, broadcast at on the Twitters at the Brad Blog. And because I always forget to mention it, uh, you should follow us. You should like us over on the Facebook. We are the Brad Blog over there. Like us, and you have to apparently set us now as one of your interests because. Facebook keeps changing everything to make it completely impossible to use. So uh, set us, uh, like us on the Facebook, and set us as an interest of yours so that you get our uh, our updated reports conveniently delivered to you on the Facebook. Um, okay, uh, got got a, quite a few things I want to talk about uh, today, including the filibuster. Filibuster. Reform, I know, is being uh, is being talked about, is being debated this week in the Senate. There will be a approximately one day opportunity to change the rules for the filibuster in the U.S. Senate uh, as the uh, as the new Congress comes to order in January. And while Harry Reid and the Democrats are talking about reforming the filibuster. Um, really, they're just kind of tweaking it around the edges and, in fact, may even make it worse than it already is. I'm going to be talking uh, to David Swanson from WarIsALie.org in a little bit about exactly that. Uh, he wants to end the filibuster, not mend the filibuster. But before I get to that, uh, the most obvious story ever told to mankind is being told once again this week. For, uh, uh, former Florida GOP law uh, leaders 
former Florida GOP leaders say that voter suppression was the reason they pushed new election laws in Florida. Oh, really? You don't say. Of course, anybody who's been listening to the broadcast over the months and years knows that very well. But it's interesting to see uh, Republican leaders now coming out and saying it out loud. This, according to the Palm Beach Post uh, uh, this week, a new Florida law that contributed to long voter lines and caused some to abandon voting altogether was intentionally designed by the Florida GOP staff and consultants to inhibit Democratic voters. Really? Shocking. Former GOP officials and current GOP officials have now told the Palm Beach Post. Republican leaders said in proposing the law that it was meant to save money and fight voter fraud. But a former GOP chair and former Governor Charlie Crist, both of whom have been ousted from the party, now say that fraud concerns were advanced only as subterfuge for the law's main purpose, GOP victory. Former Republican Party of Florida Chairman Jim Greer says he attended various meetings beginning in 2009 at which party staffers and consultants pushed for reductions in early voting days and hours. Quote, the Republican Party, the strategists, the consultants, they firmly believe that early voting is bad for Republican Party candidates, Greer told the Post. It's done for one reason and one reason only. We've got to cut down on early voting because early voting is not good for us. Greer said that he was told by those staffers and consultants. They never came in to see me and tell me we had a voter fraud issue, Greer said. That is all a marketing ploy. Greer's statements about the motivations for the party's legislative efforts implemented by a GOP majority House and Senate in Tallahassee in 2011 are backed by Christ, and also now on the outs with the party, and two veteran GOP campaign consultants. Wayne Birch, who handles local and legislative races for Republicans in Florida, said he knew targeting Democrats was the goal. Quote, in the races I was involved in in 2008, we started seeing the increase of turnout and turnout operations that the Democrats were doing in early voting. It certainly sent a chill down our spines. And in 2008, it didn't have the impact that we were afraid of. It got close, but it wasn't the impact that we had this, that it had this election cycle, Birch said, referring to the fact that Democrats picked up seven legislative seats in Florida in 2012, despite the early voting limitations. Another GOP consultant who did not want to be named also confirmed that influential consultants to the Republican Party of Florida were intent on beating back Democratic turnout in early voting after 2008. In 08, Democrats, especially African Americans, turned out in unprecedented numbers for Barack Obama, many of them casting ballots during 14 early days of voting. In Palm Beach County, 61.2% of all early voting ballots were by Democrats, compared with 18.7% by Republicans back in 2008. Former Republican Governor Charlie Crist said party leaders approached him during his 2007 to 2011 gubernatorial term about changing early voting in an effort to suppress Democratic turnout. Crist is now at odds with the GOP since abandoning the party to run for U.S. Senate as an independent in 2010. He is rumored to be planning another run for governor, perhaps as a Democrat. 
Christ said in a television, I'm sorry, telephone interview this month that he did not recall conversations about early voting, specifically targeting black voters, quote, but it looked to me like that was what was being suggested, and I didn't want them to go there at all. Oh, you think? Now, uh, big credit to Charlie Crist. The former Republican governor of Florida, he expanded early voting when he was in office. He uh, reinstated voting for former felons who had served their time. And he got rid of the 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems that were used across the entire state. He got rid of them uh, for use by everyone except for uh, disabled accessible voting because federal law, the Help America Vote Act, requires these uh, crappy, unverifiable systems or ones like it to be made available at the polls. But other than that, he did away with touchscreen voting, moved the entire state to paper ballots. He deserves much credit for that. And, of course, that is why he is being attacked by Republicans at this point. Rachel Maddow sat down with Charlie Crist last night in a, uh, frankly, a must-see interview. We've got the entire thing over at bradblog.com, but I want to play a quick portion from that interview last night where Rachel Maddow asked him about the Republican claims, the phony Republican claims, that all of these laws are about stopping voter fraud. I feel like... Um because of your position and because of where you were governor and because of how recently it was, I feel like you're sort of in this unique position to shed light for us um, about what's in between these two parallel tracks that we've got. Because what it seems like is going on with these restrictions of the ability to vote, just all, putting all these new hurdles uh, in between people and their ability to cast a vote, whether it's shortening early voting or whether it's requiring documentation you never had to show before in order to vote, all of these different things, restricting voter registration, it seems clear that it's being done for a partisan purpose. But then when you listen to Republicans talk about it, they always say, oh, no, 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 it's not partisan at all. It's only about voter fraud. There's right. this big problem with voter fraud, and it is about voter integrity. Is it clear to you that that is just bunk, that that is just a story that's being told to cover up why they're really doing it? It's crystal clear to me. You couldn't be more right, in my humble opinion. And. You know, certainly we can say this about all these roadblocks that are put in the way of people exercising the right to vote. And we saw it in dramatic fashion this last election day in Florida, in my home state. How do you think that makes me and my fellow Floridians feel when, you know, uh, MSNBC is able to call all these other states? And the one that's outstanding and lingering for so long is the Sunshine State. There's a lot of good people here in Florida. And, and it's uh, very discouraging to see that kind of black eye put on us when it's not necessary at all. And, and the fact that there's some massive fraud going on as the excuse or the red herring to do that is, is laughable. I mean, the obvious reason, where, why else would you take 14 days of early voting and, and you know, condense it down to eight days and make that more difficult or make it even harder for people to do absentee balloting uh, here in, in Florida? You know, certainly it's not voter encouragement. Uh, to say the least, it is voter discouragement. And, and I think absolutely the wrong thing to do is, as I said earlier, make this precious right more difficult to exercise than easier. This ought to be something that we push as hard as we possibly can uh, to make sure that every Floridian, every American has the opportunity to vote their will and, and to exercise their right to elect their leaders in the most convenient way possible. And people who stand in the way of, of doing that should be held accountable for having done so. It is uh, absolutely unprincipled. It is wrong. 
and it shouldn't happen. And it shouldn't happen, but of course it does. That was former Republican governor of Florida, Charlie Crist, saying that the GOP claims of voter fraud are complete bunk, that it is crystal clear they are bunk, that the idea that there's massive fraud going on is, quote, laughable. And by the way, one one hint that you can get when you're you're talking to your friends and relatives uh, about all of this, when they're talking about fraud, when they talk about voter integrity, voter integrity, they don't talk about election integrity, they talk about voter integrity. The voters are doing fine. Leave them alone. The elections themselves are another matter. Uh, concerns about voting machines, voter suppression, uh, and as we saw this year in Florida and a whole bunch of other states, really unprecedented voter suppression like we haven't seen since the era of Jim Crow. Will anything be done about it? That remains to be seen. But uh, kudos and credit to uh, former Republican Governor Charlie Crist. Uh, check out that entire interview at bradblog.com. While you're there, by the way, uh, check out the story below. It's still on the front page from former Reagan and Bush official Bruce Bartlett, who is now uh, taking it to the GOP big time. Uh, and uh, it discusses how he was he's been nixed from Fox News for daring to leave the party uh, the party reservation <clears throat> over the past few years. This is a guy with solid Republican conservative credentials, but not right wing and loony enough. So we we awarded uh, the uh, Brad blog, the rarely bestowed, the much sought but rarely bestowed Brad blog, intellectually honest conservative award to uh, to Bruce Bartlett <clears throat> and uh, certainly Charlie Crist. Uh, it deserves one as well. Check both of those stories out at bradblog.com. Okay, I want to move, uh, I want to move to the filibuster because, uh, Democratic Senator Major- uh, Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid and Republican Minority Leader Senator Mitch McConnell <clears throat> have been debating filibuster reform this week in the Senate. Uh, of course, they, uh, the Democrats talked about this in 2010, unprecedented use of the filibuster, of course, uh, over the past, uh, what, four, six years by the Republicans to stop anything from moving forward. Finally, Democrats seem to be serious about reforming the filibuster rule, <clears throat> which is not in the Constitution. Uh, but again, as usual, it looks like they're, uh, you know, nibbling around the edges, uh, and they may end up making things worse. Uh, first, here is, <clears throat> excuse me, here is, uh, Senator Reed and Senator McConnell debating that a few minutes from their debate earlier this week on the, uh, on the Senate floor. What's being proposed now would undermine the very purpose of the Senate as the one place in our system where minority views and opinions have been respected and heard, and in most cases, incorporated into law. Until now, you could say that protecting the rights of a political minority have always been the defining characteristic of the Senate. The majority leader was one of the staunchest defenders of the Senate's protection of minority rights for all of the reasons I've mentioned. Yet now he finds himself frustrated with those rules he once championed. My friend, the Republican leader, claimed changing the rules to make the Senate more efficient is an assault on minority rights. In fact, it's a response to abuse of the filibuster by Senate Republicans. He keeps talking about getting rid of the filibuster. I or no one on the Democratic side has proposed getting rid of the filibuster. But we have proposed making this place more efficient. 
We had to run it this two years ago. We had a so-called gentleman's agreement that the motion to proceed would be uh, filibustered rarely. Well, it was filibustered virtually every time a bill came up. So that simply didn't work. I'm not proposing that we get rid of the filibuster, just that we do away with filibusters on motion to proceed, period. We know that during Lyndon Johnson's six years, and I will have six years uh, in the same position at the end of this year, I have faced 386 filibusters. Lyndon Johnson won. Today it takes more than a week. In fact, it takes about 10 days to even begin considering a bill before we're even on the bill, let alone actually trying to pass that legislation. So it's time to get the Senate working again, not for the good of the current Democratic majority or some future Republican majority, but for the good of the country and for these, these, these plaintive cries that we're getting rid of the filibuster simply isn't true. The filibuster is not part of the Constitution, it's something we developed here to help get legislation passed. Now it's being used to stop legislation from passing. We're not trying to get rid of the filibuster. How would you feel if two years from now I have your job and my members are saying, well, why don't we just get rid of the filibuster altogether with 51 votes? Well, if you, I think that would be wrong, but we're not trying to get rid of the filibuster. We're, what we're doing is changing this tiny aspect of what goes on around here so that people would have to do a couple things. One is not filibuster, simply getting on a bill, and also, if they want to filibuster, stand and talk about it, not, not be in your office someplace. Uh, Senator Durbin just reminded me of one senator, Republican senator, who forced us to be here over the weekend, and then he just left, went back to a wedding in his state. It is, they have abused the process. They have abused something that it was set up to help legislation get past the filibuster. They've abused it, and now the filibuster is on everything. We have to do other things. We have a very short period of time here now, and everything around here is the big stall. And he talks about getting... Uh, Bills done. We have gotten, we, this Congress have gotten almost nothing done. And I think an example, I repeat, Lyndon Johnson, one cloture, Harry Reid, 386. That says it all. A couple of things. Uh, that was uh, Harry Reid and Mitch McConnell debating uh, the filibuster, reform to the filibuster, very modest reform to the filibuster uh, earlier this week. A couple of things uh, come to mind. First, the irony of Mitch McConnell, the Republican Mitch McConnell, fighting for minority rights and worried about losing minority rights is uh, is is incredible. Of course, the only time Republicans seem to give a damn about minority rights is when they are the minority. So that's remarkable to me. Uh, also, uh, you heard Harry Reid say over and over again, nobody's talking about getting rid of the filibuster. We don't want to get rid of the filibuster. Uh, well, you know what? Maybe we need to get rid of the filibuster. Now, mind you, the White House is now supporting Harry Reid and the Democrats and their call for very modest changes to the filibuster rule in the Senate, according to Sam Stein today at Huffington Post. Uh, they, you know, but of course, this is not what we need. We don't need somebody nibbling around the edges. That's what they're doing. And in fact, they may make, make things worse because they're talking about, uh, allowing senators or requiring senators, if you will, to go on and on, uh, if they actually want a filibuster to actually do it, to actually get up and talk. Uh, Mr. Smith goes to Washington style. But some, in fact, are talking about getting rid of the filibuster entirely. 
Today in Salon, Alex Seitz Wald summarized five reasons to kill the filibuster entirely. He wrote that it's probably unconstitutional. It's super undemocratic. The Senate itself, Senate itself is inherently and hopelessly undemocratic, giving the same exact representation to California, for example, with a population of 38 million and Wyoming with a population of fewer than 600,000, making an individual Californian's vote worth one, uh, worth one sixty-third as much as an individual Wyoming's vote in the upper chamber, and the filibuster further distorts that democratic imbalance. Uh, Alex Seitz Wald argues that it has ruined the Senate. The number of filibusters and cloture's votes have skyrocketed in recent decades, and that the recent Senates have passed fewer bills than in any other in the 20th century. He also argues it will bring down the other two branches along with it since uh, unknown administration positions are left vacant for months or years, crippling the government's effectiveness and that we don't need any more checks and balances. The federal government, he writes, was designed to be inherently inefficient in order to prevent radical swings in policy. When new parties take control, that's fine and good, he says, but there are plenty of checks and balances with two houses in the legislature, the committee process, presidential vetoes, and judicial review with without a supermajority requirement in one of the chambers. As noted earlier, he says the founders didn't intend for it to be this way. David Swanson, a longtime and very outspoken progressive uh, activist, author of 2009's best-selling Daybreak, Undoing the Imperial Presidency and Forming a More Perfect Union and 2010's War is a Lie. Uh, and now the host, by the way, of Talk Nation Radio on Pacifica Radio. He recently wrote about the same thing, calling to end, not mend the filibuster entirely in an article headlined, How to Not End the Filibuster. He writes, leaving the 41 senator filibuster in place, but requiring that they run their mouths and some of us have to listen is not exactly the kind of change most of us hope for, nor is it to be supported, nor is it supported by the Constitution, any other law, any treaty, any rule necessary to the functioning of our government, anything or anyone we just voted for or any public opinion poll. The proper thing to do with the filibuster is to eliminate it, says David Swanson, which 51 senators can do at the start of the session if they see fit. The Senate rules cannot be filibustered. It only takes a 51-vote majority to end the filibuster entirely. I spoke with David Swanson about his call to end the filibuster entirely while I was guest hosting the nationally syndicated Mike Malloy show just last week. David Swanson, welcome to the show, sir. Hi, Brad. Good to hear you. Good to talk to you, my friend. Okay, let's uh, let's get this straight. Straighten me out. Explain if you know, if you can understand, if you can see through this in, in, in these incredibly arcane rules in the U.S. Senate. What's the opportunity that is had here by the Democrats to change the filibuster uh, with just 51 votes that cannot be filibustered in that sense when they change the rules? 
Well, there are those who dispute it and claim it can't be done, but it's been done a number of times through U.S. history. Most recently in 1975, uh, a majority of senators, a simple majority of 51 or uh, or fewer, if not all the senators are there, uh, can simply change the rules at the very beginning of each two-year session of Congress. Is that disputed? Uh, I, I thought that was understood that they have to basically approve the rules by a majority vote before they begin the session. I didn't even know that that was uh, in dispute. Well, the confusion comes in the rule itself, which seems to suggest that you might need two-thirds uh, in order to change the rule on uh -huh. the filibuster. But, uh, in fact, the, the precedent suggests and the parliamentarian experts seem to agree uh, that with a simple majority of 51, you could, in fact, and in fact it has been done as recently as 1975, uh -huh. change the rule, change Senate Rule Number 22, which is simply a rule that the Senate makes to govern itself. It's not a law. It's not in the Constitution. It's not in the Bible. It's it's a thing that the Senate made by sheer accident and stupidity and has changed a number of times through U.S. history. And they can only do this right before they actually uh, gavel the session open. It's like the first order of business to say, these are the rules under which we will uh, run this chamber for the next two years, right? Correct. Okay. And so this was a big deal four years ago when you finally had a Democratic president and a Democratic majority in both houses and darn near that uh, supermajority in the Senate the, to the point where the Democrats wouldn't have needed to change the rule. But in fact, uh, they chose not to. Uh, and President Obama chose not to urge them to. And again, two years ago. And now here we are. And it's, it's amazing. I, I just picked up a copy of this new book of Howard Zinn's speeches. And the very first speech in the book is one that he gave to SNCC back when Kennedy was president on the theme of Kennedy's cowardice and failure at the start of his presidency and again two years later uh, to push the Senate to change the rules as the, as the, the racists were filibustering civil rights. Uh, because in Zinn's analysis, he clearly didn't want to. He wanted that excuse. He wanted to slow down progress. Uh, this is my analysis of Obama and the Democrats. They love the excuse. And and that was back, uh, by the way, under Kennedy, when, when the filibuster was rarely used, was used in special occasions, when, as you said, the racists reserved their right to filibuster only for uh, in the most racially uh, related uh, circumstances. Now... It is used for everything. It's used to block appointments. It's a record number of uh, invocations of the filibuster. And when it happens, it's not like the filibuster from uh, Mr. Smith goes to Washington. This is just all they have to do is say, uh, yeah, I'm going to filibuster that one. And there's nothing that can be done about it other than a vote of uh, uh, 60 people, I guess, to, to, to beat the filibuster. Well, now the Democrats have 55-45 uh, majority, so they can change the rules. And what we're hearing is that if they change the rules at this point, it would be uh, perhaps to require... The, uh, these, these men and women, if they want to filibuster, to actually filibuster, to stand up and to make their case, uh, in the chamber until they fall down or something and, you know, from, from hunger or whatever. Once they're down, they're out. Then we can move on with, with the actual business of either debating or voting on these, uh, on these bills. That has come up as potential reform here. 
you say that would be a terrible idea. Well, it it might be worse than nothing. It certainly wouldn't be what is merited. Uh, the filibuster has no legitimate right to exist. There is no positive benefit from it. It's not in the Constitution. It's not in our laws. It allows uh, a minority of 41 senators representing, in the worst-case scenario, less than 12% of Americans to block any laws uh, through the Senate and most laws, therefore, that have passed through the House as well. Uh, it is a, a, an anti-democratic measure within an anti-democratic uh, House of Congress, the small, U.S. Senate. Small, uh, d, small d democratic. You're, you're correct. Okay. Anti-small d democratic. Right. Uh, and, and it ought to be simply and, and cleanly eliminated. End it. Don't mend it. Uh, instead, this proposal would allow this minority of 41 senators, uh, in, in theory this might be Republicans, but any 41 senators to block any legislation, but would give them a national microphone with which to talk uh, endlessly about why they're blocking the legislation. Uh, and it, contrary to the image of someone uh, starving and falling down and collapsing, this would be a tag team group effort of 41 individuals. Uh, and the various proposals might require some uh, subsection to be on the floor at all times. So perhaps they would have to maintain a quorum of 10 out of the 41, while at any given time the other 31 could be off whining and dining the legislators and biographers and lovers or whatever it is they do. Uh, and so you, you would you would have the, the Republicans maintain the power to shut down any legislation, be given a national microphone with which to talk about their nonsensical reasons why, and the Democrats would get this national advertisement of their powerlessness to do anything uh, contrary to the will of their funders. So it would be win-win for the two parties. But not for us and not for representative government. I'm speaking with David Swanson from uh, WarIsALie.org and or DavidSwanson.org. Is it a good idea to, uh, to mend the filibuster or, as David Swanson is suggesting, end the filibuster? And will this redound against the Democrats if, in fact, they do it? All right, David, are, are you saying that this proposed reform would allow the the minority to tag t so they they might have to stay up and keep talking but you're saying it's not just going to have to be one guy that they can actually tag team and 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 keep talking between them are you sure about that I haven't seen that proposal from anyone. Uh -huh. I would be interested to see it. Um, the the various uh, quote unquote progressive groups, uh, MoveOn.org, and the, mm -hmm. the Daily Coast, I guess, has been prominently pushing this, and uh, uh, are, are completely vague about the proposal. When you when you look at the proposals uh, from various senators, uh, they require some quorum. You know, they they have right. to maintain ten, or in the best case scenario, forty. In some in some theories, what it should do is uh, is increase with time. So the longer the thing drags on, the more of that group of 41 must stay on the floor at all times. Uh, the idea being to to punish them, to keep them away from their their 
whining and dining of lobbyists and and bribers. Uh, But uh, I I have not seen anyone propose that a single individual uh, be required to to hold the floor and speak without end. Now, Um, that would be a different story, but I understand your concern here. It always seemed to me when the Democrats, uh, frankly, were in the the minority, I always wanted one of these Democrats, uh, whether it's, you know, Feingold on the war, the lone, I think the lone voice uh, who voted against the Iraq war or against the Patriot Bill, if I recall correctly. I always wanted one of those guys to filibuster and to stand up and to keep talking and talking and talking. Uh, you know, Bernie Sanders got a lot of people, uh, you know, who noticed him when he did exactly that. So I'm not sure, as Democrats seem to think, that somehow forcing the Republicans to do it, whether they're tag-teaming it or forced to do it alone, I'm not sure that works against them. I think it brings a hell of a lot of focus onto them and onto the to the points that they're making in this endless speech. And it sounds like that's what you're also uh, agreeing with. Right, right. right. Yeah. Why is why is giving a national megaphone to a bunch of Republicans a good thing for Democrats, much less for us? Uh, I mean, everybody laughs at, Sh- uh, at Sheldon Adelson and uh, all these Republican funders who were the biggest suckers ever because they <laughs> dumped all of this money into Mitt Romney, but they didn't get nothing for that. They got a national debate in which uh, progressive voices were completely shut out as the range of debate was from Obama trying to be like Romney all the way over to Romney. We got a national advertisement for a year about the need for austerity, the danger of cutting the military, the the craziness of addressing global warming. I mean, we got the, the national political discussion shaped by that money. Mm-hmm. And sure, the slightly better funded guy lost and we can laugh ha 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 but we didn't get uh the sort of small d democratic conversation about public priorities that we would have had without that money speaking with david swanson from uh david swanson.org and war is org, we're talking about uh ending the filibuster not mending the filibuster is is the is the real issue here that republican i'm sorry the democrats the democrats don't want to end the filibuster and they barely even want to mend the filibuster because they suspect they're going to be in the minority next time and they want to have it available to them as well uh, I think so, and I think that individual senators like anti-small-D Democratic powers. They like more power for themselves as individuals and for themselves in small groups. That's that's a good thing from their point yeah, of view. Yeah, but surely as the majority, that's not – you're not suggesting the Democrats really do want to slow things down in the Senate when they're in the majority. Isn't, isn't this just about them being afraid that they won't have this tool available to them when they are finally in the minority again? Uh, I'm not so sure, uh, because if the Democrats, as they had four years ago, have the White House and majorities in the House and the Senate uh, and are expected to do popular things they campaigned on that their campaign funders are 
dramatically opposed to, they're in a real bind. Uh, but if they can blame their inaction uh, and their, their, their insufficient action on the Republicans, they have a built-in excuse uh, that to a great extent they love. Um, but, but for whatever combination of these reasons, it is clear that the Democrats and their leaders, primarily their president, do not want uh, to get rid of the filibuster. Oh, David, you used to be so bright-eyed and bushy. What happened to you? You've turned into such a cynic. I can't believe you would uh, accuse the Democrats of such a thing. I just, I'm, uh, I'm astounded. Not you know, <laughs> you know, we, we started giving them power in 2006, and they immediately said, let's keep these wars and disasters going so that we can run the, against the same thing in 08. And, and we're supposed to, it's 2012, we're supposed to not be cynical. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, uh, remember, uh, oh, we can't have impeachment in uh, 2006 because we want to win the White House in 2008. Oh, okay, we can't have accountability in 2008 because we want to look forward, not backwards. There's always an excuse. Let me see what uh, Andre in St. Paul has to say. Hey, Andre. How you doing? I was just wondering why any bill should pass the Senate with less than a majority vote. I mean, the filibuster is there to make sure that the minority, even if that minority isn't Democrat or Republican, if that minority is a third party or a fourth party, has their voice. That's the point. And there shouldn't be any law going through the Senate without a supermajority. That's the point of the Senate, is to slow stuff down. Wait, wait, wait. You're saying, Andre, you're saying that everything should require a supermajority to pass? I would like that, yeah. Why? I mean, if, if we, because, I mean, if, if, like you say, it comes down to the, to the, um, the donors. If they just elect a president and say that's it, no, you got to elect a president and you got to elect senators and you got to elect a House representative to make sure that you have enough stuff to do. And if you can't do that, you shouldn't be in power and you shouldn't be, you know, changing that much stuff in our government. Our government shouldn't change that fast. David's that's why we have. Yeah, let me get David's thought on that. David, uh, everything should have a supermajority to pass? Uh, absolutely not. It is anti-small-D democratic. The, the Senate already is extremely disproportionate in its representation, and you can have senators representing a small minority of Americans pass a bill. But you can now, uh, with the filibuster, uh, under current rules, have senators representing 12% of Americans block any bill. And this is a separate issue from the Senate and the House giving their powers away to the White House. Uh, in fact, if we had more popular control over the Congress, we would not see that trend. We would begin to reverse that trend. Uh, so the problem of anti-democratic measures in the Senate actually helps in the transfer of power to the White House. Yeah, and it's actually, uh, you know, if you require a supermajority for everything, that is minority rule. That means 41 senators rule. Minority rule, it is democracy on its head, as you say, David Swanson, and it has nothing to do with anything that is in the U.S. Constitution. You talk too much, you worry me to death. You talk too much, you even worry my head. You just talk. Talk, talk too much. 
That was my interview last week on the Mike Malloy Show with David Swanson of WarIsAlie.org and DavidSwanson.org. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast, and we'll take a quick break here. Come back uh, maybe with a call or two at 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-KPFK. Desi Doyen will be joining us for some green news. Please stay tuned. This is your Bradcast. The seventh annual Fair Trade and Conscious Gifts Holiday Bazaar will be held on Saturday, December 1st from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. at Emmanuel Presbyterian Church, 3300 Wilshire Boulevard in Los Angeles. Shoppers can support local and international artisans and peruse through a large selection of affordable sweatshop-free arts and crafts instead of spending hard-earned dollars at the mall. The Holiday Bazaar is co-sponsored by 9 to 5 Los Angeles Working Women and the Afghan Women's Mission. Details are available at 213-201-7029 and at kpfk.org. KPFK is a proud media sponsor. Hit me with your best shot right here on KPFK Live. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly citizen, investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow from bradblog.com. Going to be joined by Desi Doyen very shortly with some uh, with some green news report. Until then, let's uh, grab a quick call at 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-KPFK. Do you think that the Democrats will really change the filibuster at all this time around? Will they back off again? Should they back off? Should they call to end it entirely? We'd love to hear from you. 818-985-5735. Let's go to uh, Matthew in Los Angeles. Hey, Matthew, welcome to the broadcast. What's up, well, sir? Well, thank you, Brad, and uh, thank you so much for all the work you've done. Uh, you're a pioneer, unbelievable, right here in Hollywood, an actor turned the greatest... <laughs> the greatest uh, advocate for, for voting. I'm an attorney, so I, I appreciate what you've done. Uh, Thank you, sir. The problem, uh, just opposite of what David Swanson concludes, it's the incompetence of the Democrats to use the state um, in, the filib- in the filibuster. Uh, it doesn't mean necessarily what's happened is anytime they filibuster, that doesn't mean it's an automatic win for the Republicans. It means they have to argue. And, and uh, instead, we've had 800 bills that have been defeated by the, by the Democrats just slithering away. This Harry Reid just 
as Tom Hartman says, he's so timid, you know, we go, oh, you know, like this. Well, yeah. But so, so in the opposite of David Swanson, they could, had they been competent, they could have turned the stage on to look at these idiot Republicans. And you don't think, uh, Matthew, Matthew, you don't think that this would uh, bring a lot of attention to the it Republican cause, that, that Fox News would start running it, uh, Rush Limbaugh, yeah? Absolutely important, important, because then the Democrats could get up and they could speak the other side. But the problem actually, is actually no, Ma- have- Matthew. We- Matthew, hang on. Yeah. They can't. In a filibuster, that means uh, the Republicans in this case uh, would be filibustering. They take the floor. They speak nonstop. Once they stop talking, then it's over. Then they can move on to a vote. They can speak as well, long as they want, and do. there is and no response from the Democrats. A, and okay. then it comes to a vote. Right. And when we had the majority... It, it could have come to vote. Instead, right. we lost all these Senate nominations, all these court nominations, all these kind of things, even when we had the majority. Okay. Thanks, so, Matt. Matthew. I, I appreciate the uh, the thought. I want to try to get in another call or two here real quick. So thanks for the call and, and for the kind words, my friend. Much appreciated. All right, let me get to, oh, another Matt, uh, Matt in Topanga. Hey, Matt, welcome to the broadcast. Oh, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, Basically, Obama and the current Democrats wield the courage of Puxatawney Phil. And that being said, I don't think they're going to change anything. But I did hear rumors they're going to try to make it more entertaining, and it'll be referred to as a filibuster Keaton. And uh, there'll be lots of crap falls and things like that. And I'm the guy who keeps talking about the interview, so I thank you so much for responding and we'll sort that out. Good to hear from you, Matt, and I, I look forward to you turning the tables on me and interviewing me. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate the call, brother. Uh, all right, last uh, call here. Very quickly from Mike. Everybody starts with an M today. You can only call in if you have an M for a name. Michael from Newport Beach. Welcome to KPFK, sir. Hi. Great. I, I'll try to make this as quick as possible. Um, the, uh, it seems that people don't really understand how the filibuster was supposed to work, it's not in the Constitution. You're correct about that, but it was procedural. It was a procedure put in uh, at a time that many of the people were were still involved with the founding fathers. Okay, the um, the point of the procedure was to prevent uh, a temporary 51 percent majority. Okay, from stripping away the rights of the other 49 percent. The, the, so we could have had uh, we could have had all uh, social security and welfare thrown out by uh, uh, the the brief periods of time that George Bush and the Republicans were in office. The thing that prevents the filibuster from being abused is the fact that people have to get up there, stay up there, and ma- keep making their case. And if they're making a ridiculous case, like, gosh, this country's going to be ruined if we don't give tax deductions to mm-hmm. Uh, CEOs uh, that want to uh, that want to have their own private jets. Right. If they're going to talk about that for eight hours, they're going to make a fool of themselves. Well, you know what? We'll we'll see if they will make fools of themselves. Obviously, they're not going to go up there and say that uh, you know the corporations need private jets. Instead, they're going to talk about how the job creators in this economy, uh, you know, you can't put them out of business. The small businessmen are going to be knocked out of business uh, if we raise taxes. They're going to make their case, and it's going to be nonsense, and it's going to be garbage. But there's going to be nobody there to respond to it because. 
because they're going to get to speak nonstop to that end. But I hear you, Michael. And listen, by the way, the the founders uh, thought about requiring a, a supermajority in the Senate. They decided against it. You're right. It was meant uh, when it was put in place uh, to protect the rights of the minority. It was actually put in place by uh, Aaron Burr, the guy who killed Alexander Hamilton. Right. But I would argue it has been abused ever since, and uh, it, it's not being used what it was originally created for. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 way it's, it, the reason why it's being abused is Harry Reid's fault. He substituted the regular filibuster procedure for, the proce- uh, for what's called a procedural filibuster. Okay? Well, Harry so, Reid didn't do that. That has been in place now for, for years. The procedural well, he filibuster. He's let them get away with it, though. Right. Well, where they didn't have to actually <laughs> filibuster. Yeah, I, he could call for a regular filibuster, and the Republicans just keep threatening to filibuster. They're not actually filibustering. All right. Well, that's right. And, but that's yeah, been that has been in place in the Senate. They haven't had to stand up and pull a, uh, a Mr. Smith goes to Washington now right. uh, for decades, Michael. And so that's what they're talking about changing, making them do that and also not letting them do that on the motion to proceed, which is essentially the motion to proceed to debate a bill. They can still filibuster an actual vote on it, but they can't uh, filibuster the debate on it. Michael, I got to run. I got a lot to get to okay. here. I, I do appreciate the call, though, my friend. Thanks for calling in. Much appreciated. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, let's do here. It's Desi Doyne's in, in place. Let's bring her. It's not easy. There you go. Couldn't bring her on without a theme song. That's right. Play. That's it. It's not there we easy go. being okay. green. Yeah, I know. It seems you blend in with so many this other you, Des. ordinary yes. It's your theme song. Yes. You come in here dressed like Kermit every week to talk about the green news. Oh, if only there were cameras in here. Well, there might be. There might be. Well, uh, welcome. Uh, sh- should we do some green news? Yes. Uh, let's get right to the green news report, and then we'll come back and talk about, uh, if we have time, some chasing ice news. Yes. All right. Let's 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 do it. Let's uh, bring the latest green news report. We haven't done as much as we need to. Another round of U.N. climate talks begins in Doha, Qatar. Now, once the feedback starts... It's irreversible. It'll also persist for centuries. New study warns that permafrost is melting. Plus, Alec mobilizes to kill clean energy. All of that and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. At Doha, here, we'll sketch out the next steps in a process for developing this new agreement. Yeah, sure you will. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Des, the burning question as the UN Climate Conference gets underway in Doha is the country pronounced Qatar, Guitar, Gutter? Well, what pe- is it? People from the area tend to range between Qatar and Qatar, so I go with Qatar. Why does Fox News call it gutter? Because that's actually more closely accurate to the Arabic pronunciation. And Fox News is known for its accuracy. What do you have for us today? Well, first, the U.S. domestic clean energy industry is under attack at the state level. The Washington Post reports that the Heartland Institute, a libertarian think tank skeptical of climate change, has joined with the right-wing American Legislative Exchange Council, known as 
ALEC for short. They're getting together to write model legislation to repeal state laws requiring utilities to get a portion of their energy from renewable sources. 29 states have legally binding renewable energy standards. Those boost incentives for clean energy from non-polluting sources. ALEC and the Heartland Institute both receive funding from the fossil fuel industry and have come under heavy criticism for their efforts in recent years to undermine environmental legislation at the state and federal level. Wasn't the Heartland Institute the one that was working to change children's textbooks to include climate change denialism? Yes, they were. And they were also the ones earlier this year who put up those climate denier billboards that likened people who understand climate change science as equivalent to Charles Manson and Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber. Yes, I recall that as well. The next round of United Nations climate talks are now underway in Doha, Qatar. Here and in the future, governments must stick to the tasks and timetables that are necessary for an adequate response to climate change. For the next two weeks, delegates from the UN's 193 member countries will push through the next phase of negotiations for an international climate treaty to reduce emissions of heat-trapping greenhouse gases that cause global warming. That treaty would take effect in 2020. Again, as in previous years, the primary divide at the conference is between developed and developing countries. Who will go first in cutting emissions and by how much? Rich, already developed Developed countries have benefited historically from their past emissions. Developing economic powerhouses like China and India are reluctant to slow their growth, and the poorest countries are struggling to lift their citizens out of deep poverty. The irony, of course, is lost on no one that Qatar is the first member of OPEC to host the annual climate talks. U.S. envoy Jonathan Pershing reiterated the United States position that any new agreement must include all nations. Citing the political climate in the U.S., he has resisted pressure from developing countries at the conference to commit the U.S. to steeper cuts than those already announced by President Obama. I do not anticipate that the United States will, in the pre-2020 time frame, modify the commitment that we have made in the political context for something approaching, in the context of legislation, 17 percent below 2005 levels by the year 2020. You know, Des, we cover these U.N. conferences every year. Is there any indication that they are any closer to an actual agreement that could actually be signed here in the United States? Well, what tends to happen at these conferences is they wait to the last minute to make actual progress. This treaty deadline is until 2015, so there might not be any visible progress until then. As a backdrop to the conference, grim conclusions in two new reports released in conjunction with the negotiations. The first report calculates that current worldwide emissions mean that current cuts pledged by member nations will not be enough to meet the agreed-upon limit of global temperatures rising no more than 2 degrees Celsius. The report says the world is on a path to see a 4 degrees Celsius temperature rise in coming decades. And the second, more disturbing study indicates that permafrost, the frozen ground that stores massive amounts of greenhouse gases has already begun melting due to rising temperatures, says lead author Kevin Schaefer of the U.S. National Snow and Ice Data Center. Now, the available projections of future climates don't include the permafrost emissions and don't account for the permafrost carbon feedback. If these projections had included the permafrost carbon feedback, all those temperatures would be shifted upward which means that any emissions targets that you based on available projections might be too low. So all of the startling scientific reports from the U.N. up till now predicting global warming have not included the warming that would be caused by the melting permafrost? Right. They did not have the data at the time. Now they do. So it could be worse than even they think. Exactly. 
Wow. For all of that and more, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. And remember, you can download us anytime via iTunes, listen to us on your mobile device via Stitcher Radio, find us and like us, please, on the Facebook, and follow us 24-7 on the Twitters at Green News Report. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. Yeah, you ain't seen nothing yet. Yeah, it's uh, it's not good. That and, permafrost study. No, and tomorrow's uh, Green News report, you got even uh, more bad news. Yes, right. yes. There's another new study that came out in conjunction with the climate talks that shows that the IPCC projections of sea level rise are um, not as um, what's actually being observed right now. About sixty percent more faster sea level rise. Than Once predicted. again, they have lowballed it. They have lowballed it because they didn't have the data See? at the time. Now they have the data. <laughs> the scientists always get it wrong. <laughs> I. Speaking of melting things, yeah. However. Before yeah, before we go, because uh, you have there's a, a, a interesting uh, piece of audio we have. We'll, we'll try to fit it in here from a climate change denier. Yes, a climate change denier denier who was filmed outside the New Art Theater over in West L.A. Uh, seeing a documentary film. It's really been getting quite a bit of buzz called Chasing Ice. And Chasing Ice it follows a documentary filmmaker who went all around the world with time lapse cameras to film glaciers, ice sheets, and other icy things melting. And it's supposed to be beautiful, stunning, and quite moving. This woman was interviewed um, outside the new art. As I said, here's what she had to say after seeing the film. Um, let me just let me say what I have to say. That I watch Bill O'Reilly every day. I love Bill O'Reilly. I'm proud to be an American. But I saw this movie, Chasing Ice, today. And it, it hasn't just changed me about global warming. It has changed me as a person. Every human being in this world should watch this movie. Everyone. And you didn't believe in global warming? I did not believe in global warming. Every time someone mentioned global warming to me, I said it was bull****. I didn't believe it. Excuse my language. And I apologize to anyone I ever talked into not into believing there was no global warming. And now I have to undo my damage. And I will. Thank you for giving me this moment. It was a great movie. Okay, thank you. So that's a real person. Wow. That was completely unsolicited. She uh, spoke with this guy who was outside promoting the film. So uh, just so you know, it is at the New Art until tomorrow night, and then it goes to Sundance Sunset, also at Pasadena, the Lemley Playhouse. So you can look up the showtimes at chasingice.com if you want to see it. It's also a KPFK Film Club film, by the way. Oh, is it really? Yes, I did not know is. that. I did yes. not check. I, this right. has just come over. So it's supposed to be quite stunning, this film. Uh, very good. And we're, we'll have more on the uh, new studies on tomorrow's Green News Report at bradblog.com. Uh, but an amazing testimonial. I yes. love her. I I listen to Bill O'Reilly. I love Bill O'Reilly. Yeah, I only does the, the rest of the clip, there's more of it. She talks about how much she loves Bill O'Reilly and how she's mad at him for lying to her. I've been lied to. <laughs> Who would have so, thunk it? Indeed. Who would have thunk it? Coming up, by the way, at the top of the hour, uh, stay tuned for John Wiener with the 4 o'clock report. He will have a Gaza update for you. You're not going to want to miss that. My thanks today to Desi Doyen. Oh, thanks, Desi Doyen. Thank you. Our producer here and my co-host on the Green News Report. To Super Duper Associate Producer Margo Paez. To our soundboard operator, G. Thank you, G, for all that you do. Really appreciate it. 
Uh, and of course, my thanks to uh, guest David Swanson from War Is a Lie. Dot org. Uh, until we meet again, you can find me on the Twitters at the Brad Blog, on the Facebook at the Brad Blog, and of course at bradblog.com. Hope to talk to you soon. I'm Brad Friedman. Good night, America. Good night.